Welcome to What's Working in Washington on federalnewsradio.com and 1500 AM. Hi, I'm Jonathan Aberman. Coming up on today's show... I think the government contracting market has a perception of being a very ossified, brownfield setting. I would argue almost the exact opposite. We moved our businesses in January to Potomac to be five miles from home because quality of life was, was most important to us. That's the natural way. When you, when you get mindful as to what's important, you know, isn't it all about quality of life? You know, at the end of the day, they had committed the, uh, the sin of arrogance, and it hurt them. And that's what happens in many cases where a small business wants to get started. Dominant business doesn't take them seriously. That happened all the way up through our career. On today's show, an opportunity to learn how one local accelerator is focusing on growing the next generation of government contractors. Jeff Arizem is going to talk about Eastern Foundry Industry, real estate, we don't often think of the two as being combined, but the reality is that real estate drives this region in many interesting ways, and what's being developed and how it's being developed is changing rapidly because our infrastructure, frankly, is not. Richard Samet is going to talk with us about his experience as a real estate developer. You know, many entrepreneurs think the only way to grow a business is by raising lots of capital. Mark Langer is going to share with us a story about how he's successfully grown a significant company that now regularly outpunches large, well-established brands in his industry without ever raising significant venture capital. Today's show is brought to you by Montgomery County Economic Development Corporation, MCEDC, helping companies start, grow, and accelerate business in Montgomery County. The future starts here. Go to thinkmoco.com today. A special thanks to our sponsor, Eagle Bank. How do you get to be number one in the D.C. area? Eagle Bank did it by putting relationships first. They're flexible, involved, responsive, strong, and trusted. Eagle Bank's goal is your success. While some believe that we must diversify the economy away from the federal government, there are others that say we should be focusing more on growing entrepreneurial businesses, taking advantage of the proximity. Our next guest is Jeff Orizam. He is the co-founder of Eastern Foundry, a co-working space here in the D.C. region that focuses on growing emerging government contractors. Jeff, thanks for joining us today. Jonathan, thank you so much for having me. Well, tell us a bit about Eastern Foundry. It's a pretty innovative approach to uh, growing new businesses here in the region. Well, thank you. So Eastern Foundry is a reaction to my and my co-founders experience trying to start non-traditional government contracting businesses. So each of us had left the military. Some of us had gone on to higher education, some to large business. But at one point or the other, we had tried to start a government contracting business because we really believed that we had the best solution in town, whether it was a product or a service. We were going to go help American citizens, help the agency's missions, get accomplished. And we were going to do that through government contracting. We all jumped in the deep end with both feet ready to go win our first piece of work. And uh, with varying levels of success, all of us became massively frustrated by how little the merit of our ideas and the capabilities that we had seemed to matter 
when compared to the amount that process mastery and relationships seem to matter. So that obviously you say that you know, you put that in front of four veterans. We all got frustrated. We banded up thought, how are we going to solve this? And we came to a solution of a co-working based model. And we thought that if we could bring together a hundred or, you know, even 10 small government contractors into one room, we would create the economies of scale to be able to get the services at prices we could afford. We could share relationships inside of government agencies, and we could also be able to engage each other to help coach, teach, mentor, and we would all get ahead. Now, you use the term non-traditional performer. That's that's DOD, a government speak for what? So that would be government speak for basically a startup. What people in the modern culture we think of as these cool kids startups from Silicon Valley, Boston. Another entrepreneur I know has described it as sort of being a sparrow and flying in a plate glass window. It looks really good <laughs> inside, but bam, there you go. Bam. Well, how does a co-working space like an Eastern Foundry help the sparrows fly in through an open window rather than break their necks? So, yeah, it's a great question. So I should be transparent. We can't open the window. The, right. Only the government is able to determine how open the window is or how high or how low you have to fly to get past it. What we're able to do is we're able to give the sparrows a map to be able to say, hey, this is where the window's open. If you want to navigate this particular labyrinth to get in, you need to be able to understand the federal acquisitions regulation. Now, obviously, the FAR, nearly a thousand pages, immensely intimidating volume that carries some really stiff penalties for violations. So obviously we haven't tried to teach everything all at the same time, but we have given the pieces of information. We've created the training pipeline for those companies, for example. Other times to be able to get through that window or you know, around the open, find the open part of the window, you need to team up. So very, very frequently as a small business, you're coming in with a prime or a consortium of smalls to be able to get collectively get through the window. And as a small business, a new entrant into the game, you don't have the resources, you don't have the network to be able to find the people that have the best chances of winning or that maybe collectively will allow you to meet all the task areas that are included in the RFP. By now co-locating, at this point, we have about 150 small businesses in our space. Well, some not small at this point, but 150 businesses in our space, all oriented on succeeding in the government contracting market. We're able to very quickly and fluidly create the teams be able to help new businesses get onto winning proposals, get through that window. So you say that you and your partner started Eastern Foundry because you were frustrated. Mm -hmm. Well, okay. When did the moment change where you weren't frustrated anymore? <laughs> I think I'm always frustrated. You're an I mean, entrepreneur. The, of course I'm you're always frustrated. There's, there's always, always something new that we should be doing. And it gets me really excited to see just how much blue sky there is in this market. I think the government contracting market has a perception of being a very ossified brownfield setting. I would argue almost the exact opposite. Is it's gone? It's almost like the snake eating its own tail. It's gotten so brownfield that it's blue again or green again. I guess if mm -hmm. I'm going to not mix my metaphors, <laughs> but in this way, there is so much thirst for support, and there's so much thirst and awareness that there is a need for a change. That I think the appetite is is deep. And so we've really been, we've, I've been thrilled by the amount of acceptance and engagement and excitement from the market, from the government itself for novel ideas. So give me an example of a technology before we move on a bit mm -hmm. more about your educational offerings. One or two examples from your current cohorts that are making headway in the government. What are they doing? Yeah. So one of the nice things about the federal government is that the federal government buys everything. I think that you know, the federal government's one of the few places and one of the few organizations on earth that's allowed to buy heroin and fighter jets 
and janitorial services. And you have all three in your incubator? <laughs> you know, I uh, well, we have people that are working on the last two. Okay. You know, I don't, to my knowledge, no one in the illicit drugs. Although we do have a lot of people in the biodetector group. So you asked about you asked about technologies. So just dovetailing on that, we do have a company that has had tremendous success selling into the DOD or certain parts of the DOD doing biodetection. So they have a really clever solution in a way to both detect the contents of a room and then also as a secondary product to suppress the contents of a room. So you want to get rid of potential WMD, for example. They have a platform that really uh, does a great job expunging it, hmm. biological agents that it's using. Right. So this is one example. That's, so, a, that's a great example, commercial and so forth. Mm -hmm. We've got about well, a little bit less than a minute together still. Yeah. You just launched an online training program, which I think is interesting. Would you tell us all a bit more about that? Absolutely. So Eastern Foundry, it's a physical location. We have offices in Crystal City and Roslyn. And we've been doing education there, bringing in professors, bringing in subject matter experts to teach our members for quite a while now, and which was great. And we, our members got a lot out of it. They would learn things that they needed to know to build their businesses. But the reality is, is that if you're in Huntsville, Alabama, or you're in California or Tel Aviv, you're not going to fly to Arlington to get one of our classes. So we knew we, and government contracting is a global endeavor. There are government con, U.S. government contracts being led in every country under the sun. So we knew that we needed to have a scalable way to help entrepreneurs that want to access the U.S. federal space anywhere on earth. And that really led us to going online. So we launched what we're calling our Federal Academy. It's under Federal Foundry, so our online manifestation of Eastern Foundry. And it's a place where anybody can come, log in, and start getting video content that gives a very structured process for analyzing government data to understand whether or not the government's buying what it is you're thinking about selling. And then walking you through a similarly rigorous and methodical process to help you research those customers and build a plan to get into the market. So if you're looking to build a government contract and a business from the ground up, we've now given you some really good things to think about and some resources, thanks to our guest, Jeff Osram, who is the co-founder of Eastern Foundry. That was really interesting, Jeff. Thanks for joining us. You may have noticed, perhaps you're even listening to this while you're sitting in the car, the traffic in the infrastructure DC region sometimes makes it tough to get anywhere quickly. Well, it's having an effect upon where people are now living and how real estate is being developed. Our next guest is Richard Samet. He is the CEO, founder of Fraser Forbes. He's very active in the real estate industry here and has some interesting things to say about why we're seeing more urbanization in the region than perhaps many had expected not so long ago. Richard, thanks for joining us. It's my pleasure. Thanks for having me. Well, real estate is one of the uh, the underpinning industries in our region. I, I think that the you know, enlightened real estate developers very much developed the the infrastructure that a lot of us take for granted. But we've sort of reached a crossing over point here right now. What are you seeing right now in the, the real estate industry? How are you looking at the community from the standpoint of where to develop and what to develop in light of where we are with our infrastructure? We start with supply and demand metrics, and then we, we look to... Uh, support ground-up development where there is unity from a live-work-play dynamic. And rather than 
complain about uh, our challenges and problems with infrastructure. We look to find solutions and, and adapt as uh, I think Darwin uh, modeled for us so many years ago. So these, we are seeing the really the uh, presence of these new micro ecosystems where you can work, you can live, you can play, and you're not the same requirement to get in your car and drive doesn't exist as, as much as it has in the past. So affected, it looks a lot like to the uninformed or the, un, it looks like trying to create little urban areas just sprinkled around the region, you know, like uh, what ha- happened in Clarendon or say a Reston Town Center or what's, you know, Montgomery County and, you know, Gaithersburg. Is that, is that what you're talking about? You're planning communities where everybody lives in close proximity and works in the same place? Yes, to a large extent. Would somebody listen to this say, well, geez, you're just throwing up your hands. You know, the real issue is we should fix infrastructure, fix metro, build another bridge. Or are you just waving the white flag as a, as a real estate guy? And I mean, how do you respond to that? We're not. We're solution oriented. Uh, my humble opinion is whether it's the physical infrastructure expansion and or technology that eventually will show up uh, vis-a-vis autonomous driving, we could be looking at 15, 20 years in the future before we really have some some help so what do we do right now when we're seeing the commuting time expanding exponentially every year and that to me is the you ask anyone uh who who lives here and has to drive an hour and a half to go 15 miles and you know the level of frustration and 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 anger it's just bubbling Mm -hmm. and it really is must admit, I got caught in a bad traffic jam this morning on my way over the studio, and it can change your behavior if you're not careful. Well, as you look at this region, some have suggested the reason why there's a concentration towards urbanization is because of millennials. It sounds to me like that's not something you ascribe to. I think the millennials are a really just a small portion of this, and I think that it, it's been exaggerated. I think this is a, a changing dynamic given our macro level ecosystem and how we have burdened uh, our infrastructure. And, you know, this market very much 20 years ago was all about suburbanization. And because the infrastructure failed to meet the needs of all of the thousands of new homes and millions of square feet of new commercial buildings, the road system, the metro system has been over overtaxed and overburdened. Mm. So now there's a flight to quality. Quality of life. Quality of life. We were based in the Northern Virginia uh, market area for over 20 years. Uh, My personal residence is Potomac. We moved our businesses in January to Potomac to be five miles from home because quality of life was was most important to us. That's the natural way when you when you get mindful as to what's important. You know, isn't it all about quality of life? Many will say that one of the big reasons why people come here and live here is quality of life. So it would seem to be intuitive if you want to, if you want to succeed here, you have to focus on those issues because that's why people come to live here. Absolutely. And in, and in some ways, you know, we, we are the product of our, our own success and uh, the fact that I still believe that we have three distinctive metropolitan markets that are, are trying to get united, uh, Maryland and Virginia and DC, but you know, the, re, the regional uh, lens, you know, still has a lot of work uh, behind it. Oh, I think it does. And let's be honest, as long as the tax base is driven by jurisdictions, there's go- there's going to be limits to how much the region will, will cooperate. And you know that being in, <clears throat> in real estate. Do you think that people really understand how much the environment they live within is really shaped by the 
real estate development community and the architects and landscapers that you employ? No, I don't. I think that there is a significant uh, miscommunication and lack of appreciation for how the development community and the uh, public sector and the consumers, you know, should be communicating uh, as really one team. And it's, it's significant that that's, that's, it's, there's not enough transparency. There's not enough clarity on how we should all be working together. Because it seems to me that, you know, you're describing how you, and, and you're not the only developer who is participating in this trends of concentration. That's going to have enormous implications on our tax base, on our schools and, and, and so forth. What do we need to do as a region to make sure that these conversations are, are had in a more informed manner? Because real estate does drive the region. Well, you know, to me, it's it's very simple. It is being completely open and transparent, and communicating to the marketplace. Uh, one one concise message. Why should the message be any different if it's coming from the development community, from the public sector? Because uh, ultimately, you know, the consumer votes for the politician. The politician.